<laughs> Good morning, everyone. Am I okay here on this? Okay, cool. Hello, so my name is John Von Runnen. I'm uh, one of the pastors at the Wiley Northeast Church, who is uh, one of the churches in the family of churches that you are also a part of. Uh, and so the staff up here asked me to come up and, and talk in the First Corinthians series. And so they gave me my assignment, chapters 5 and 6, and I read those. And I thought, great, I get to <laughs> talk about a guy not sleeping with his mom. So uh, <laughs> how are we going to tie that in? But, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll figure out how to, how to make it work. So uh, like I mentioned um, I've been a part of, of the church, the family of churches, uh, for quite some time. And I was talking to somebody just as I was visiting with uh, several of my friends who, who attend here. And, uh, and just like thinking and, and feeling the spirit moving in this place, like just walking in and just watching you as a body, how you interact and, and see um, the love that you have for each other. And, and uh, I don't know, just this morning has just been a real blessing to me. I was literally just sitting over there thinking, like, is there any way I could just start coming up here, like, and just, <laughs> just be a member here? Because you, uh, you guys have a really awesome thing going on. The worship, you know, was so beautiful and, and special, and, and the communion talk uh, was great. really got me thinking the whole cracker and communion, or communion juice in the same thing, like, that just put me over the edge. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is amazing. I'm coming back to this place. <laughs> Yes, I'm that shallow sometimes. So. Um, but yeah, so uh, I started in the youth ministry down at our Garland Church um, coming up on 25 years ago. A lot of the people that you see kind of walking around and, and that are part of this and the other churches uh, got to uh, see how I learned how to do youth ministry in real time with them. And, uh, you know, so some of those... Uh, things that are irritating to you about uh, the Davis boys or the Royals or some of those guys, those are probably my fault <laughs> somewhere along the way, so forgive me. But, uh, but no, I think, uh, I think what God has done through all those folks is just pretty amazing. And I wanted to give you just a little report on the Wiley Church. So, so we started the Wiley Church coming up on uh, 14 years ago. And uh, it's crazy to think we were down in Garland for 12 years and then uh, took a, a group of people, 50 or 60 people, up to Wiley and planted a church. And then uh, just a couple of years later, a lot of the Denton folks who started this church started coming to Wiley, many driving from Denton to come all the way to Wiley. And then we helped uh, plant the church here. Uh, there was a, a group who did a vast majority of the work that was from Denton up here and really took it and ran with it. But... Um, so we got to be a part of that, though. That was really neat. And, and then uh, just about two years ago, or I guess three, almost three years ago now, we started uh, talking about planting another church, and we planted a church in Plano. Again, God kind of did that deal with a, a group of people who were a part of the church, and there was a, a need that we identified. And, and so uh, it's been really neat, although we did uh, come out of that uh, church plant in Denton, uh, just uh, a little leaner. COVID hit right at the same time, like literally a month later or something like that. So we had some of those same challenges that you guys had to work through in terms of just, um, you know, figuring out how to, to do church in the midst of a, a global pandemic. Uh, but God's faithful and, you know, has done some really neat things uh, just through our church body and in our church body. And we're continuing to kind of look for uh, where he's moving and, and what he's doing and uh, I think it's so neat, uh, and you guys get to see this as well, and we're starting to see this more and more as we plant more churches in, in communities, is that we have an opportunity to be an impact right there in the community. Uh, you know, where we're going to church, where our people live. And uh, so we're really asking God, continue to ask God, like, what does that look like for us, and how do we, how do we continue to grow and do that? So one of the ideas we had is we planted a a little community garden kind of out back behind our, our building. And so that's been neat to post on Facebook in the city of Wiley and see people come and participate in that. I think last year we took like 400 pounds of food from the garden to a local food pantry, uh, which was really neat. So we're trying to just be you know, creative uh, and try and find, you know, what is God calling us to do? And I would encourage you as a church body to be looking for those same things. 
uh, and just figure out, okay, God, we're here. Uh, our people are here. You know, what do we do with that? And uh, there's other opportunities like that. But I just, I just thought in the, in the spirit of this First Corinthians series and this idea of Paul planting churches and then going and, uh, you know, planting other churches and then writing letters back to the churches he was at and this idea of just, you know, giving a report and an update. Um, yeah, I just, I wanted you to hear that, that the Wiley body is, is doing well and, uh, and growing in, in uh, a lot of different ways. And, and then a couple weeks ago, I went out to the Arlington Church, and I don't know if any of you have been out there yet. I would encourage you to go and visit uh, you saw a little video of them singing, and uh, it was just—it was so neat to just be there and to see the spirit moving and to see people just like here. You know, you you go and visit those churches, and you realize like there's more of us out there. Like there's this interconnected body of believers, and of course that happens in churches all over the the metroplex and all over the world on any given, uh, any given day, but it's just neat to, to experience that. So I would also encourage you to, uh, you know, make sure that you're keeping an eye to the other churches and the family of churches and just asking God, uh, you know, what that looks like, what your participation looks like in the family of churches, uh, and be, be faithful to answering whatever he, or to following whatever he answers you there. So yeah, so this First Corinthians letter is, um, is uh, interesting. In a lot of different ways, uh, like I mentioned, it's this letter that Paul wrote back to the church in Corinth that he had started. Yeah. I'll let you finish, but uh, what am I doing? <laughs> I meant to hand it off to McKinsey, <laughs> who's, who's going, who's like done some preparation and is going to do an amazing job of reading. Okay. The you're preaching on. Okay. So if it's all right, McKinsey. Where's McKinsey? <laughs> yeah, let's give it up for McKinsey. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, so they skipped me. That's very rude. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm going to be reading 1 Corinthians 5 and 6. Let me get prepared. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. All right. 1 Corinthians 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. And you are proud? Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? Oh. For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit, as one who is present with you in this way. I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leaven, leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you may not, must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people." What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Um, 1 Corinthians 6. If any of you has a dispute with one another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. It is possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers. But instead, one brother takes another to court, and this in front of unbelievers? 
The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Okay, I'm back. That's actually very helpful because uh, I was trying to figure out when that didn't happen how I was going <laughs> to make sure that you guys knew what was going on. So Grant, thank you for doing that. I know that uh, can be tricky, so good job. Okay, so yeah, so uh, 1 Corinthians is this letter, and, uh, and he's writing back. And so you can see just in what was read uh, some of the, the significant issues that the church was dealing with. And, and this isn't, you know, this isn't uncommon, right, for a church, a group of, of human beings to be together and to have issues between one another, uh, and then also to have just worldliness creeping into the church. And so Paul, I think, understands that. And I think what he's ultimately trying to say to the church here is like, look, you need to be able to identify this. You need to be able to deal with it and call it out and do something. And so in multiple sections, he writes to identify the problems that we're seeing, but then in some way, he always ties those problems back to the gospel. So all these different areas that you're going to hear throughout 1 Corinthians, Paul identifies a problem, and then he identifies and ties that problem back to a solution within the gospel. And so that's important for us as believers to understand and realize that as we deal with issues in the church, when we deal with issues in the church, we always tie them back to a response that is full of the gospel truth, God's love, his grace, his understanding, and his, uh, even his discipline. And so the book starts by Paul addressing the church of God, which is at Corinth. The church of God, which is at Corinth. And, and so we're starting to understand this tension between the church and the city. And it's important for us to kind of camp here for just a minute and ask this tough question and really identify first in 1 Corinthians and then identify for ourselves, is the church influencing the city or is the city actually influencing the church? And so my uh, fellow believers in Christ who uh, have a church here in Denton, what would you say the answer is uh, to that question for you? Is the church influencing the city, or is the city influencing the church? Could there be a better question for a local community church to ask itself? To really try and understand where we are and how we're responding to the gospel, how we're bringing the gospel of Christ to this city. There's a quote from Timothy Keller, Timothy Keller where he says, If you and your church were to disappear off the face of the earth tomorrow, would anyone in the community around you notice you were gone? 
So this was uh, something I uh, came across several years ago in Wiley that we started throwing out and, and uh, really trying to ask ourselves. And, and it pushed us more to this community kind of focus and community service type uh, of approach. And I think it's helpful for us to ask that question as a church, but then it becomes really humble, you know, the other part of that quote, to focus on a personal level. If you left the body of believers tomorrow, would anyone notice? And so certainly that's not a perfect measure of being in community and ultimately really being in relationship with God. I think it could indeed be something helpful to consider, again, both at the church level and the individual level. So we see Corinthians, this first letter to Corinthians, broken into these five main parts. Uh, The Bible Project has a great video that explains uh, this and kind of shows visually how all this lines out. If you want to go watch that, I'm, I'm taking some of these points from that video. Chapters 1 through 4, Paul focuses on divisions. Chapters 5 through 7, the main theme is sex. In chapters 8 through 10, he talks about food. And 11 through 14, the gathering. And then 15, the resurrection. So it reads like this collection of short essays that's intended to address each of these issues. It's intended to help us as believers ask if we're thinking about every area of life through the lens of the gospel. My relationships, my family, my community, my work, all of those different areas, do you view those through the lens of Christ? And I, I, that's what I really feel like Grant was getting, um, uh, getting on about in his communion talk. When we deal with conflict, how are we approaching that? Did you hear what he said? You know, when I, when I enter into a conflict, I'm going to try and understand the other person first. Yeah. I'm going to make sure that God, you know, moves me to the right place coming out of it. See, this is just going back to this idea of covenant and that in, the, in God's kingdom, we're called into covenant. Just like in a marriage covenant, I partner with God for the betterment of my spouse. And that will mean changing me. And and I'll never forget uh, Ray's mom, Sini, coming to a a small group that we had in Wiley, a small marriage group. And uh, I remember right where we were sitting in in our house and she started talking and just talking about this idea of covenant. She said, I wake up every morning and I ask God to change. And I'm like, okay, yeah, she's asking God to change Mark. You know, right? Because that's what we think. God, please change our spouse. God, please change our boss. God, please change my friends. Right? And she said, and I ask God every morning to change me to be the person God, Mark needs me to be to grow in his relationship with God. And I'm like, what? I mean, it was completely mind-blowing, but, but that's what this is about. That's what Grant was talking about, this idea that we're going to ask God to move and change us for the betterment of the people around us. Yeah. And so this, this, uh, this book is intended to help us view that and think about all these different areas through the lens of the gospel, instead of these other lenses that we tend to kind of naturally gravitate towards, like personal preferences and convictions, distorted teachings from, from when we were younger. You know, there's all these different areas that, that fuel or have grown in us to the point where, where we are now, we believe what we believe. And so it's, it's right for us as disciples to go back and ask, why do I believe this? Why do I treat people this way? Why do I assume these things? And for the person who's really willing to, to ask those questions and be convicted by what comes back, God can do amazing things in that. And so Paul is about this and focusing on this, and he starts in chapters 1 through 4 focusing on divisions that are happening in the church. And he's basically saying, look, church is not a popularity contest. The church is a community of people who are centered around Jesus. Its leaders are just servants. And ultimately what God is most interested in is where collectively the hearts of the people are focused. And and again, I, I try and always just draw this back to, you know, where we are now and who we are. And I would just ask you, when God looks at the community of believers here in the Denton North Church, what does he see? 
Does he see a, a collective group of people whose hearts are focused on Jesus? Or is this just a gathering? Are you acting as the hands and feet of the Lord, moving through the city of Denton to draw people closer to the kingdom? You know, what issues as a church are you rallying around? Are they gospel focused? Are they kingdom minded? Or are you just distracted by the mundane? Is your heart tuned in more to the problems of this world? And Paul talks about that some in chapter six. And so ultimately, this brings us to these two chapters of where this overall theme for them, and then also chapter seven is sex. And the summary takeaway is that how you approach sex, and more specifically, your body, is a really big deal to God. He cares about that. If you're a Christian, sexual integrity is one of the main ways that you respond to Jesus' love and grace. If your body is being redeemed by Jesus, both now and in the future, then what you do with your body is important. And just like in your physical body, the church body deserves the appropriate care and attention. And the church body deals, like we mentioned, with all kinds of different contaminants or sin. And how the body of believers deals with sin is an important issue to God. And there's several different parties involved when, whenever you have sin within the church body. You have the person who are engaged, or people who is in, I can't talk this morning. You have the person who's engaging in the sin itself, okay? You have the pastors of the body, the overseers who are attempting to deal with that sin. And then you have the body of believers who are all watching closely what the outcome of that issue is. And then you also have non-believers who may be watching from the outside to see how things are handled. And there's a lot of pressure on each type of person that's involved in this process. And specifically in chapter 5 uh, of 1 Corinthians, Paul's address, addressing this scandal with a couple of issues at stake. And so the first, the first issue is the behavior itself. And so Paul was horrified to hear that a man had his father's wife. And this probably meant his stepmother, since a woman is not referred to as his mother. And she was most likely not a church member, since Paul says only to expel him and not to expel her as well. And as permissive as the Corinthian culture was, incest was taboo even for them. For God's people, it should have been unthinkable that this was happening. And the last thing I'll just point out about the behavior here is that the verb tense in this phrase that he has his father's wife suggests that it was an ongoing relationship, not a one-time thing. There was not this, even a hint of repentance or change with the relationship. So that's kind of that, the first you know, scandal of this whole chapter. And then the second is just the response by the church. And so I don't know if you caught that in the, as the scripture was being read, but Paul seemed to be less shocked by the incest itself than he was by the church's reaction to it. They were proud of this. Verse 6 suggests that they even boasted about it. And so you're thinking, like, why on earth would they be boasting about that? But what this suggests is that they may have been boasting about their open-mindedness to this happening. They might have been boasting about their forgiving spirit, you know, that they had identified sin, and that's okay, we'll just, we'll just let that continue to happen, we'll, we'll restore them over the long term, or whatever that, that thought process might have been. And this doesn't seem too far-fetched today for us in our, in our culture, in our society, as we think about tolerance being one of the most celebrated virtues of kind of modern Christianity, you know, think about things that, that just 20 or 30 years ago would have never been accepted, yet now are either fully accepted or, you know, there's a strong leaning that direction. And as the body of Christ, we have to ask, when does this tolerance stop? You know, and I just wonder if it's this slow boil that's overseen by Satan as he tries to damage the body of believers, and so Paul's shocked that the church wasn't filled with grief over this situation, that they weren't acting on it. 
And since we're all members of Christ's body, the actions of one person impact the whole body. And so then you have Paul's recommended response there. He says, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. And the NIV says, so that his sinful nature may be destroyed. And it's less clear exactly what he means by this. And there's a couple of thoughts that I found in some different commentaries. One is that it was actually referring to the death of the man's physical body, uh, similar to Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 with the confidence that his spirit would be saved on the day of judgment. And it could also mean the destruction of the flesh or the sinful nature, which is what most people think. Because we see elsewhere in the scripture where Paul identifies and teaches on the conflict between the flesh and the spirit. These are the two words used in verse 5. And when he does this, he usually isn't talking about the body or soul. He's talking about the old nature versus the new nature. If you compare this to 1 Timothy 1.20, where Paul talks about two believers being handed over to Satan in order to be taught not to blaspheme, this would imply that they were expelled from the body, from the church, for a limited time with a view towards some kind of reconciliation, that they would be brought back into the church body. And I thought this was interesting, that some scholars actually suggest that the repentant sinner from 2 Corinthians 2 is the same guy that was uh, expelled here. And so, again, there's this, they see the sin, they identify it, and Paul's saying, here's what you should do with that. Expel that person from the body. How does that make you feel when you think about that? You know, church discipline is one of those things that through the years I've kind of watched from afar. We've had different things that we've had to deal with along the way. And church discipline is always incredibly difficult. Just, it's just one of those things that's really hard to deal with. And I was just wondering as I was thinking through this, does this seem harsh to you? Because compassion and tolerance may seem more admirable on the surface. But if you look the other way, when you know that there's uh, known immoral behavior going on, that's just not okay. And then to go beyond that and celebrate sinful behavior as evidence of your freedom in Christ is even worse. Remember Romans 6 where Paul is talking and he says, should we keep sinning so that grace would increase? And he says, by no means. We died to sin. Why should we live in that any longer? And so there's this idea that I think is helpful for the body in trying to identify sin and deal with sin in the body. But certainly this comes back to us on a personal level. Think about the sin you're dealing with and what you're doing about it. So the the scripture is is helpful in us trying to identify and see the things where we're missing the mark. That word sin, hamartia, the Greek for it is hamartia that just means you're missing the mark. And so personally, just think for a second of the sin that you're struggling with, because we're all struggling with it in here. And, and then the question is, what are you doing about it? Are you actively working to expel that from your body? Yeah. And so if you get that and you understand that concept through, you know, conversations, confessing sin, you know, repentance, really turning from the evil desires that you have, then, then when it comes to the body as a whole, you start to understand more. Okay, this makes more sense. This is something that we have to deal with and we have to, um, you know, do something about. So why was such a harsh response warranted? And the answer is to keep the whole body from being destroyed. And that's what Paul was going after when he's talking about and comparing sin in the body to uh, yeast or leaven working its way through a batch of dough. So in ancient times, yeast was was scarce and leaven was a more popular alternative. And leaven was just actually an old piece of dough that had begun to ferment. And when it was added to a new batch of dough, it spread its fermentation through the whole loaf, making the bread lighter. And the longer that process continued, the greater the danger that the dough would become spoiled and poisonous. And when the dough became bad, it all needed to be thrown away, and the process had to start again. 
And so you can see why he's talking about that and using that illustration in the church body. If sin is not dealt with, you run the risk of it spreading through the whole body and contaminating the whole church body. You have to deal with sin. And again, as a body, you have to be okay with the body dealing with sin. You know, again, there's this approach that we have where, you know, sometimes we just either don't want to talk to people or we don't feel comfortable bringing up whatever is going on. And by ignoring that and kind of turning the other cheek, you're creating a bigger problem for down the road. And again, that's, that's uh, huge for a body of believers, but you can just ask those questions of yourself again. Are you dealing with that personally? And so then he goes on in verses 9 through 13 to kind of clarify some of the confusion. And he says, um, he basically kind of clarifies his command where he says not to associate with sexually immoral people. That that didn't mean the church was supposed to separate itself from the world. Until we leave this world completely, when Christ returns and takes us home, we'll be surrounded by sinful people. We talked about that just a second ago in here in our own personal sin. And so while separating completely might seem safer, it also keeps us from being the salt and light in the world that we need to be. Instead, what he's talking about is that we go after and call out the sin that we see. Otherwise, we'd all be, you know, kind of in that spot and distancing from each other. Okay, so what are we, what are we supposed to do with all this? What's the right tension between being accepting or turning the other cheek and then calling out and challenging sin. Now, as I was thinking about this, I thought about just some real easy connection points. And I think the first one is that it just starts with relationship. It starts with relationships. The body needs a lot of relationships. And it needs relationships that, that cross generational gaps and all these different kind of areas that you see within the church, you know, that just kind of naturally happen. And I would challenge you to be a body that really knows each other. Be a body that really cares about the other parts of the body. And when you come in on Sunday morning, it's just really easy to go to the people that you know and talk to the people you know and sit with the people you know and all that stuff. You know, mix that up. Really think about, you know, engaging in relationships that you wouldn't normally do so. You know, look for different people to sit next to. Look for friendships to make outside of what you normally do, and be a body that is strong when it comes to relationships. And I can see that. I mentioned that when I, when I first walked in, just seeing how the body interacts together. And so it's important to continue to grow that and continue, you know, thinking about that. And, and as you spot sin in those relationships, again, there's a right way to deal with that. Ask questions, have conversations, and if somebody is unrepentant in that and continuing on in their sin, then bring one of your pastors into that conversation and try and have that, you know, as a group conversation at that point. But something needs to be done. You can't just let that continue to grow. So be a body that really pursues relationships and really knows each other well. Because when you know each other well, you'll grow this deep trust with one another. And that's important because when these conversations need to be had, then you know where the other person's coming from. You know that they're coming from a good place. You can trust what they're saying, that they care about you, that they care about Christ, right? And so if somebody's coming at me with a challenge or with some sort of rebuke, and I have a relationship with them and I trust them, absolutely I'm going to listen what they have to say. And so, again, you can see how these build on each other, you know, this idea of relationship that grows uh, trust, and that when you have that trust, you can go call people out for their sin, and it comes out in the right place, you know? And again, I would tell you, just as you think about this for yourself, that you identify your sin struggles and the things that, you know, uh, that are, are tempting for you or that are a struggle for you and you have somebody that you can have that ongoing relationship and conversation with, and if you, you know, give in to that sin, confess it, and move on. 
confess it and move on. Jesus died on the cross so that our sin would be forgiven. And so it's true that we all fall short of God's glory. We all sin and fall short. But that Jesus paid that price for us to redeem us. And so why should we then drag that with us? You know what I'm saying? Why, isn't that just in, in some way you know, disgracing the cross when we hang on to the, the sin and the struggle that we deal with and let that beat us down? You know, we should be striving forward and, and letting that go you know, to be the people that God's calling us to be. And I'd also say and, and challenge you to just be a body that makes sure you handle the business of the church well before you put significant effort into fixing the world. So you hear what I'm saying there? And again, you can go back and read chapter 6 and kind of see what he's talking about there. But sometimes, you know, we miss the issues that are right in front of us in this effort to go out and fix everything else that's going on in the world. When maybe there's enough work for you just within the body. I mean, I, I can almost guarantee you that you could spend a lot of time with your fellow sinners in here addressing sin and bringing people into the light. And I feel like as Christians, that's what the, this five and six is a lot about. Remember, he's saying like, you know, if, if a brother or sister is engaging in these things, you know, this deal with that, take care of that. You know, don't feel like you have to go out and judge the world. Just judge what's going on in the body. And again, there's, there's this two-way tension that happens in there. One, that we're willing to have those conversations with people, to people. The other, that as a sinful person, I'm willing to hear those conversations and receive those conversations. And so if you're a person that's uh, pretty sensitive to those kind of conversations and you immediately are defensive and respond in a way, you're just making it that much harder for people to help you. You know, it's, it's like, I, I remember, this is kind of a, a silly story, but I remember it was one of my biggest life lessons. In uh, third grade, we were having a war on the playground, and uh, I was running from one of my best friends at the time. His name was Jamon. And uh, I was running from him and, and fell down, and he came over uh, to help me up. And, you know, I've just in a very passive-aggressive manner, uh, you know, shooed him away. Uh, really, in my mind, wanting. I remember as a kid, you know, a nine-year-old, you know, laying there thinking, I, I want him to, to feel really bad for me that I've fallen on the ground here. And so, I mean, literally, that's what I was thinking. And so I tried to play it off. I'm like, no, nah, you know, leave me alone or something like that. And he was like, all right. And he, <laughs> he was gone. He went on to continue the battle, right? Because I was out of the picture at that point. I remember thinking, no, no, no. Like, I want you to, to feel bad for me or something, you know. But we just kind of do that to people, you know, when they come to us and try and help us in situations, and we have this passive-aggressive nature that takes over, and, and, uh, and, and we end up hurting ourselves in that situation. We end up not getting the help that we really need, and that ends up hurting us. And again, as a body, you really have to be on the lookout for that. Yeah, so as a body, make sure that you're handling the business of the church well before you go out and put significant effort into fixing the world. Yeah, and so one last challenge here. Sin, ki sin kills, steals, and destroys, so why would we allow it in our body? In the name of peace, that's not really peace. I'd say be a body that calls out sin and deals with it. Be a people who's willing to be talked to and brought along in that. You know, Jesus did this gently, but he did it with great boldness and love. Yeah. And loving people well means shaking them up a little bit. Yeah. You know, Kristen Paz did a sermon last week in Wiley and, and talked uh, a lot about this. And that was one of her comments that I thought was, uh, was really profound to me. Loving people well means shaking them up a little bit. Yeah. And we just have to step in and be willing, one, to have those conversations, and then two, be willing to receive those conversations. Yeah. And so I know in talking about sin in the church here, there's somebody specifically that probably most of you are thinking about. 
Um, somebody that really needs a talking to, you've watched the sin in their life for years now, and you've probably often been afraid to say something for, for fear of how they'll respond. I just want you to know, I'm happy to go and talk to Leslie with all of you, if there's, uh, <laughs> whenever, whenever that comes about. That was good. That was a good one to close on. Let me say a prayer. <laughs> Let me say a prayer. Uh, God, thanks for your word. Thanks for uh, the conviction of um, just being a body that's, uh, that's willing to step in and have these tough conversations. Um, I pray for uh, the leadership in this church, that you would give them boldness and give them wisdom, uh, give them a, a keen sense uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit of where the sin is and, and what's going on. I want to pray for the body as they look out for one another and deal with their own sin, uh, that they would realize just how impactful it is and how much damage it can cause. I want to thank you just for the work here for these people that I love so much. And I pray that their work is magnified and that uh, it brings you all the glory that you're due. I pray a blessing over them in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks, guys. Let me see if I can get this on real quick. Just a few minutes here toward uh, giving you a financial update for DNC. We don't do this very often, and so this may seem kind of like a surprise to you, um, but we were looking at some of the needs that we have and some opportunities we have coming up, and we wanted to uh, share that with you guys this morning. So one of the things I want to say before I start is that I do not feel bad about giving you a challenge or an update on our finances, because I agree with what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, where he's calling people to excel in the grace of giving. This is an opportunity for you. This is not a, um, oh, you're so bad. It's not a shaming. It's opportunity. And so the first thing I want to do is just thank you. So this is the second slide. I want to thank you for the people that are giving consistently. Maybe you're not giving a lot of money, but you're giving consistently, and that's a huge deal in meeting our budget. I want to thank you for your consistency during COVID. We didn't have to apply for any loans. We didn't have to uh, cut back on what we were doing during COVID because you guys continued to consistently give during that time. And guys, that's huge. And it was such an encouragement to us at your staff. And then you've also picked up our staff changes. You picked up Josh's salary when he came on staff. You picked up Garrett's salary when he came on for a year. And those have been things that have really allowed us to grow and have really blessed our community. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for letting uh, that be a priority for you. So third slide, we're going to be talking about uh, what is it we're talking about when we talk about giving? So we're going to give you specific needs and specific numbers this morning. Next slide. But when we talk about um, giving, what we're talking about basically is ways that we can sustain and increase how we make and mature disciples who love serve and share Jesus, and how we become a place where hearts are turned to God and lives are changed. How do we sustain what we need to make those things happen, both in our church community and in the community at large? That's our filter, and anything that doesn't line up with that is not something we're going to ask you to give money to, um, at least through the church. 
And I'm also going to say that I'm going through this really fast this morning, and we don't have time for questions. But if you have questions, you can ask Josh or myself. We also had a group that we ran a lot of this past and had a conversation with yesterday. That includes Garvin, Tate, Aaron, Brad. Who am I leaving out? Grant and Shayla, yeah. So any of them could probably answer any questions you have as well. So please feel free to set up time with us, a phone call, whatever you need to answer questions. So this is our monthly budget starting in June. This is what it would look like starting in June. And so first of all, we have our salaries. So mine's $2,500 a month. Josh's is $2,400 a month. And then we'll be adding Ronnie Worshabon at $500 a month. The reason for that is because Ronnie's going to go part-time at the Garland Church, and he will spend the other amount of time between all of the churches in the family of churches. And so we are all kicking in an amount of money um, that would replace that part-time salary he's not getting from uh, Northeast anymore. I will tell you that Focus is picking up the major part of that because they get a lot more of Ronnie's time uh, than some of the rest of us will. But it's going to be a huge benefit to our body for us to have access to Ronnie. So Ronnie will be available to study with people, to meet with people. He'll be meeting with Josh and I and helping us develop uh, strategies and missions for the church and stuff, and just really pouring into us and teaching us how to be better leaders. So it'll be super beneficial for our church for a very little amount of money. Our rent is about $13.60 a month here at the GDAC. That includes this room, as well as the rooms that we use for our kids to meet in. Our programs and materials, which includes the people that we support for the cohort, so the way the cohort works is that they pay for half of what they do in the cohort for a six-month period, and the church picks up the other half of what that costs. And so included in programs and materials is what we pay each month for the six cohorts that we have. It also includes like our insurance as a church. It includes those cute little communion cups John was talking about. Um, coffee, planning center, all the kinds of things it takes to run uh, the church. And then missions is $6.50 a month, and that is for Kristen Harris, who is on staff in Bellingham, Washington. We've supported her a, a minimal amount since we started the Denton North Church. And then also Metro Auto, we give uh, money to Metro Auto, usually in one big gift, but we uh, divided it out over 12 months is what we did. We took that big gift and, and uh, did it out over months. And then also our benevolence. So benevolence can be people inside our body, but it's also people in the Denton community that we become aware of that need help with certain things. So you can also see it in a pie chart there. And, um, and then this is a comparison, go ahead. <laughs> this is a comparison with the national average of what other churches do. So one of the things I wanna say about that is this is not a statement about how we do things better than other churches do. This is something that lets us just get some kind of comparison. So the first thing I want you to note is that most churches have a budget at least two times as large as our budget. So that's why our pie is a little smaller to start out with, is just to reflect that. Um, and then uh, one of the other things I want you to notice is that it, so we have 64% of our budget in salaries, whereas the average church has 47%. And that can make it look like, oh, we pay these huge salaries to our uh, pastors, and, and we do that way more than other churches do. Um, but what that's really reflecting is more how much of um, our money goes into salaries, not the size of the salaries necessarily. And then that's important because that reflects 
um, our value of being with people. So money that's poured into salaries is money that's poured directly into the people that we meet with, the people that we study with. We do weddings and funerals and lots of things like that that we don't charge money for. Um, that is included as part of our, our salary. So just to let you know, that's an investment in people. That's an investment in this church. That's an investment in people you may never meet as well. It's also an investment in um, people in all of our family of churches as well. One of the things you might notice um, that the average church has on their pie that we don't is savings. We do not have that on ours because currently and since we've started Denton North, we haven't had the budget to put money in savings. Now, one thing, um, actually, that may be coming up in a different spot. I think it is. I'm going to wait and say that in a minute. Um, okay, next slide. So this goes back to that little pie slice about salaries. So our average salary for pastors at Denton North full-time is $24.50 a month. The average for the U.S. is $45.80 a month. So just to give you a little bit of a comparison there, um, one, of the thing, one of the things that's important about that is that we need to get our salaries up, not necessarily to the national average, but where we can bring people on staff in a way that is sustainable long-term. Um, it's not going to be sustainable for someone to give up a career and then come on staff and make what most people uh, would make part-time when they're working full-time. So that's one of the things we want to work on is we want to be able to keep staff long-term and we want to be able to get really good people who really love the church and really love Jesus and not have to have them live um, not having the things that they need to do that, not being able to raise a family. We want to be able to uh, let this be accessible to people. Okay, so next slide. This is just some of the, uh, a sum up of the pie chart and some of the notable differences. So one, we've already mentioned giving a larger percentage towards staff salaries um, and just the amount of time that staff spends. Also, one of the things I'll point out is that most all of you have our phone numbers and if you don't, you can get them really easily. You have access to us. If you don't know that, like, you need to know that, <laughs> that you can call us, you get a hold of us, you don't get a hold of our secretary, um, and we're happy to help you with whatever you need help with, even if it's just like a quick question, I want to run this by you, if it's a meetup, whatever. The second one is that we pay lower salaries than the average church. We pay much less in building and program costs than the average church because we don't own a facility. We don't have to pay for upkeep and, and repairs and things like that. And we don't currently have room to have a percentage devoted to savings. Okay, next slide is giving types. Um, so just in what we're giving right now, we have 30 steady recurring givers and we have 11 non-recurring gifts per month on average. So non-recurring just means one time. It's a one-time gift. Next slide. So right now, our average monthly giving is 6560, and then benevolence is 400 for a total of 6960. Um, that's what our average giving is. Next slide. Our average budget is $8,200, so right now we're running at a shortfall of $1,240 every month. Now, this is not like we're in crisis mode here, because John mentioned that they planted the Denton North Church. What he didn't say is that they gave us a sum of money to plant that church, and so did the Garland Church. And so we can, we've been running a deficit for a little bit of time, but we're okay because we've had that buffer to help us to be able to do that. Um, 
So one thing that's important about this is that our offering each month, the top five givers, so the people, the five people that give the most money in our church makes up 48% of our giving. So we have five people that are supporting half of all of our giving right now. And that's important because what if one of those people needs to change jobs and they don't make as much money? What if they go to be a part of a church plant somewhere else? What if God calls them to be a part of a different body? We need to be able to take care of the needs of our body without it being a big deal if we lose one or two people. Um, so the other thing about this slide is you might have noticed we don't have a lot of fluff in our budget. And so when uh, we're not making our budget, it's not like there's a lot of things we can cut out. It's not like we can go and say, oh, well, we don't really need that, or we don't really need that. We don't really have that extra uh, to cut out. Um, 12, uh, sorry, 12, <laughs> next slide. <laughs> okay, so with the money that we were given when we first started DNC, we were able to put $20,000 into an emergency fund and that money has pretty much been able to stay there as a buffer, largely because Brad didn't take any salary at all for the first year or two, and because of uh, ministers taking uh, lower salaries. And so that is our emergency fund. However, if we keep depleting it at the same rate that we are, it'll be gone in the next 16 months. Um, what is recommended is for churches to keep a three-month expenditure in uh, their buffer, in their emergency fund, uh, for things like COVID happening and stuff like that. And so we don't have quite three months' worth, but we're close there. So we feel good about the amount that we have in the emergency fund. Okay, so what are goal is, we're going to give you just a few specific goals, but in general, the goal is to move our church to a more mature, sustainable phase of giving. Um, since we started Denton North, we've been content to let a few people support us, but guys, we've been a church for eight years now, nine if you count the year that we met one time a month before we moved here. Um, so it's time for us to step up and start giving in order to sustain our budget. Okay, so here's the first goal. The first goal is just to correct the shortfall. Like we need to, we need to make up that $12.40 a month so that we're hitting our budget. The second one is to pay full-time staff salaries, which would be an increase of about $2,000 a month. And then the third one is to add more long-term staff. So that $3,400 a month equals out to $40,000 a year, which is about a, a normal salary. So that would allow us to either put one person on full-time staff, two people on half-time staff, or three people on some kind of um, part-time staff. And we would love to be able to do that because the more people we have on staff, the more people we can spend time with, the more people we can study the Bible with, um, the more we can do in the kingdom. Oh, okay, thank you. I was like, who said? Um, the next one is we want to be able to give a one-time gift to the Garland Church for building repair the Garland Church, if you guys don't, aren't aware of it, they're the only church in our family of churches that has a building, that owns a building, but we all use that building. So that building is used for weddings, it's used for funerals, it's used for graduation parties, it's used for meetings that we have, it's used for all kinds of events, and there's never a charge to use that building. 
That building is free to, if right now you decided, I'm having a graduation party next week, I would love to be able to have a space where I have room for all my friends and family. If you called and said, is the church available? And they said, yes, it is, you would be able to use it and there would be no cost to you. So it's only fair that all of us help with the upkeep of the building and they just had some major repairs that they had to do. 5,000 is a very small part of that. And so we would like to be able to do that. That's one of our goals. And then the next one is we would like to be able to start thinking ahead about planting a church, whether that is a church that Denton North itself plants or that's a church that we give money to as they are planting. Guys, there are people sitting in this room right now that are capable of leading that church plant. And we could invest in that church to get it up and going, to get those people's staff paid for for a little bit while they get their feet on the ground and get enough people to support themselves. And so we want to start working toward that. So this would be something that we, somebody might, several somebodies might have chunks of money you want to give to that, and we could come up with 15000 by next week. Or it could be that we give some every month and just start building that up. So I don't want you to look at that number and be like, oh, I'm checked out. There's no way that's happening. Like, there are ways for that to happen. So, And then the uh, last slide is, so this is just something practical for if we want to uh, replace that shortfall, correct that shortfall. Um, we would need 25 new donors to commit to $50 a month. 25 people to $50 a month would take care of that shortfall. The other way of looking at it, which I like the first way better, um, the second way of looking at it is if we pulled those five top donors out and didn't ask them to increase their already very large giving, then that would require everybody else that's giving currently to increase theirs by 30%. That's another way we could hit that goal or some mixture of all of that. But that's just to kind of give you an idea of what it would take. So again, this is us proactively heading off a crisis, not saying we're in crisis right now. We're not. But we will get there if we don't correct it. So this is our opportunity to correct that this is just a call to giving more. Um, I know a lot of you give different places, and it's not really the most fun thing to give to the church. It's really fun to give to specific needs um, that you see elsewhere. But guys, it's also not fun to pay the utilities where you live. I absolutely hate getting my car tuned up because it's not where I want my money to go. I want it to go someplace where it's actually going to be seen. But those are the foundational things that keep our homes running, keep our cars running, and we've got to do the foundational things to keep our church running if this is something we really believe in and really care about and really want to invest in. And so that's all we're saying to you this morning. We're asking you to pray about it, to think about it, have conversations with each other about it, ask questions. Um, but yeah, that's it. So I'm going to let, I'm going to say a quick prayer actually about this. Um, God, we are so, so thankful for the way that you have taken care of us over the years for the way that you've given us money that we shouldn't have had. We're thankful for the Garland Church and the Wiley Church and their generosity in helping us get going financially and the way that it still blesses us today, even eight years later. I pray that we would excel in the grace of giving, God. I pray that um, we would have to stop our people from giving and say, we have the money we need right now. We don't need any more. Um, out of our love for you and out of our love for your mission and out of the love for the people around us who don't know Jesus. Um, we love you so much, and God, we are committed to giving whatever you want us to give, to doing whatever you want us to do, um, because you deserve that and because we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I would just put some ointment on it, Kurt. I think that would be take care of it just fine. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, hey, we don't have a lot of time for announcements. A couple quick things, and then we will. I'm just going to tell you to look at the newsletter to see some of the announcements. We had a lot of new things <laughs> this past week that I don't have time to say all of them. DenNorthChurch.com/newsletter. You've not already signed up. It'll actually just send you a list so you can look at the most recent ones. So a couple things I want to say. Um, you already know how to do the giving thing. We didn't put that in the slide on accident, but DenNorthChurch.com slash donate, easy way to set up a recurring gift. Uh, a couple things I want to say is that thank you, John, for hanging out with us this morning, speaking with us. Yeah. What a treat. Um, yesterday we pulled off what might be perhaps the best cookout we've ever had in church history. Of, all, of the entire church history of, you know, the globe. And I just want to thank so many people who helped pull that off. Lots of people helped set up, grill, clean up. Tate and the InReach team did a lot of the work pre- ahead of time to set that up. So thank you guys so much. Um, be sure to thank some of those people that you saw working hard yesterday at the cookout in person and make sure that they, they know that you appreciate what they did. And then the last thing I'm going to say is that the um, uh, prayer night, which is tomorrow night, at 7 p.m. It looks okay for rain, and so we're actually, it's not going to be rainy around 7 p.m., so we're planning to go ahead and meet at North Lakes, North, North Lakes, that one that's up and has an inn, um, North Lakes Park. That's one of the downsides of Denton, naming two parks, North and South Lakes, and, you know, it's crazy. So we're going to meet at the pavilions at North Lakes Park at 7 p.m. to pray together and to pray for our church body, to pray for our city, um, and it's going to be a real treat. It's going to be a pretty evening, I think. So please join us for that at 7 p.m. in North Lakes Park. And the other announcements, please check the newsletter to see. And now we can wrap up and get the chairs put away and everything. And thank you guys so much. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.